What do you got in your hand? It's a hammer. <laughs> Excuse me? I, I brought a hammer. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. Farzi, we talked a lot on uh, last podcast about instigating and fighting. Do you think somebody should have instigated Greg Morales after his hit in the neutral zone that resulted in him being suspended for five games? It's interesting that you say that because now that you're forcing me to think about it, it might lend more weight to those who are arguing that the suspension handed Greg Morales is too severe. Because, And I say that because maybe nobody thought there was a need to instigate upon the player after said hit. Beats me. I think the issue there is just that people didn't see it on the ice. It happened in behind the play. You and I were among those, not even on the ice. I think you saw it better than I did. But yeah, I was watching the puck further to my right towards the other blue line. This happened in the neutral zone, not far from center ice. And all I knew is that play got blown dead. And I turned my eyes back to where things had been sort of gathering, and there was Brendan Kishnick down on the ice. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Obviously, getting a look at it uh, on replay, it was, um, I don't think it was a a, a targeted headshot. I don't think it deserved five-game suspension. Um, But it was a hit on a player who didn't know that hit was coming. And that is one of the things that we have been targeting in this league and others uh, for the last couple of seasons now, the blind side hit. Where do you want to go with this? Because Mike McKenzie, the general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, I, he, I think anyway, it's fair to say, went off on learning of the Morella suspension. And just to pull back the curtain a little bit, this happened, the hit happened on a Friday night versus Erie in Kitchener. The Rangers were playing in Flint on the Saturday. So what the Rangers do, because they can, is do about half the trip on the Friday night after the game. They go down to Sarnia. You and I uh, took the option on the team bus and went to meet the team in Sarnia on Saturday, joined them at lunchtime in a hotel in Sarnia, and that's when Mike McKenzie got the email. We were sitting at the table with the coaches having lunch, and he got the email, and he had said, Greg, you're not playing tonight in Flint. And then we spoke with Mike McKenzie for our pregame show on the radio, and it was pretty fresh. It was within hours of learning of the suspension, and, and I think, so what I must guess the long uh, way of asking the question, do you, want, do you want to play the Mike McKenzie tape now or save it for a second? Mike McKenzie's reaction to Greg Morales being suspended. Hopefully it's a short one. Um, it's, it's an unfortunate uh, thing. Um, don't totally agree with it first and foremost I hope the young man on Flint is is okay um, you know that's the main thing is that the players are all right and hopefully he's uh, he's doing okay health wise um, you know but at the day bear with me here I've got a couple of things to say so I hope you don't have any follow-up questions but um, <laughs> you know at the end of the day um, our league bases suspensions heavily off injuries and that's something that we know and they've told us and so when a player does get injured like that um you know you run the risk of um this happening and um you know i don't necessarily agree with it but you know the league um you know makes these decisions and you have to live by them so um it's one of those things um like i said anytime you base it off injury it's tough because you're i mean you're opening up a whole can of worms um you know you know could the player have been hurt earlier in the game and that hit, you know, did something else to him? You know, for example, last night, you know, the player was playing without a chin strap for, for um, you know, that half that shift and his, his helmet popped off on the hit. So, you know, is it because he wasn't, you know, his, his chin strap wasn't done up? And you, you take all these factors into it and, and now you start trying to decide, you know, what caused the injury? And it it's a, no one really knows what caused the injury. I mean, you can guess and yeah, sure, I'm sure the hit's part of it and there's a reason for that. But after looking at the hit, I, I don't believe there was head contact. Um, you know, was it a two-minute penalty? It might have been. Um, but that's the risk you run. And uh, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's more a result of, um, you know, 
there was no penalty on the play, so there's no review by the league. Um, they only review the ones that are majors or, or marked by um, in an incident report. But I think it comes down to, you know, when a member of the other team, um, in this case Erie, goes to the officials in between periods and causes a scene, um, you know, that gets the league's attention. And then after the fact, you know, I look at it this way. When you have a, an email by midnight after the game, obviously the, the clip's been sent in and um, by the other team, which is, which is fine. But, um, you know, it kind of goes both ways. It's, it's really not something we believe in. Um, personally, I, I don't believe in sending clips in after every game. I, I think it's a weak-minded and a complainer's mindset um, that way. And at the end of the day, the player's health is the most important. And whether or not there's a suspension on the play or the player's punished when a player is injured uh, has no bearing on how the player heals. And it's an artificial way of feeling better about yourself at the end of the day um, for the, t- the team. And uh, like I said, it, it doesn't uh, heal the player. And it's, uh, like I said, it's an artificial way of feeling better about yourself um, that, hey, we got a guy suspended because we feel we were wronged by someone on the other team. So um you know that's the way it goes like i said it's not something we believe in but moving forward now i mean um knowing that that that's the way it is then you know what when the kitchen rangers play the Erie otters for the next uh however many games or years then we'll look at every single hit that comes across our tape and make sure that those get sent in when our players are hurt or when there's a questionable hit uh, like i said it's not something i really believe in to be honest and the league does a really good job and the referees do a good job most nights and um i don't think teams need to be getting involved in that sense like i said the first and foremost it's player safety we want all the players to be safe uh but i think the referees in league do a good enough job that we can leave that to them and uh that's my view on it but when you have other teams sending stuff in and and complaining about it then it goes both ways so we'll have to see i think he sums it up pretty good there i don't think listening to that Mike McKenzie expected a lengthy, uh, lengthy uh, suspension at all. Well, and I think he might have even been at that point making his case for it not being a lengthy suspension. When do we go to Erie again? Last game <laughs> of the season. Last game huh. of the season. And interestingly enough, as we get into the final stretch of this Ontario Hockey League season, um, it could well be a Kitchener-Erie first-round playoff matchup. It could also be another first-round playoff matchup that I know a team down the 401 west of Kitchener wouldn't want, but we'll get to that later in the podcast. Just drop that little kernel into your ear right now. But yeah, last game of the regular season, the Rangers have won all five of the meetings with the Otters so far this year. But there's a lot to unpack from what Mike McKenzie said. And I'll be honest with you, I've been thinking about this. I thought... Greg Morales would get a two-game suspension. He got five. Yeah, Fans are going to fan, and they have been... I, I've been bombarded with emails, tweets, questions. Uh, I Even on... I do this open-line segment on my daily radio show on 570 News. Uh, I do it once a week. And the first time... It's on a Monday. So it was two days after learning of the suspension. And people just... I wasn't even talking about hockey. It's call up and say what you want. We call it rant or rave. And at least four, it might have been five people, unprompted, just phoned up to complain about the suspension. And they thought five games. Would, no, at this point, we didn't even know. It was still indefinite. So, because we didn't learn until the Tuesday. But people were calling up my radio show, unprompted, just to complain that the suspension was even issued in the first place. That's how upset they were. I've, I've been trying to weigh, because like I said, I thought, I thought two games would be the number. I think reckless is too strong a word and careless isn't strong enough a word if that's fair. Is there something in between careless and reckless? Because that's what I think Greg Morales was. He got hooked in the neutral zone, he was frustrated, and he took his frustrations out by blindsiding, to a degree, Brendan Kishnick. The the player was vulnerable in that he didn't know the hit was coming, was the principal point of contact to the head. You have to slow down the video frame by frame to determine if it was or if it wasn't. I don't know if we want to get into that level of detail if we need to. What we do need to know is that the young man was vomiting not long after, which is a sure sign of a concussion. I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. 
If you want to see the hit, follow us on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL and at underscore Chris Pope. Of course, you can always get in contact with us via email, Farwell and Pope at gmail.com. I'm right with you. I think um, that it, a two or maybe even a three-game suspension, sure. A five-gamer? I think that's the OHL being pretty heavy-handed. We've seen a lot more dirty hits. A lot dirtier hits uh, come with a lesser suspension. I, I don't know the reasoning behind the five games. I'm not in that office looking over the video. But what this does is it brings us back to a conversation we've had on this podcast far too many times. But we're going to do it again because Farwell and I are okay with beating a dead horse. And we might uh, be riding a dead horse because it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. If the OHL wants to get out the paddles and resuscitate this horse, yeah, anytime, fellas, anytime. It's, it's, not, it's not difficult to notify fans and media and everybody who follows your league of a suspension. Did the league tweet the Greg Morales suspension? I have no idea. Oh, I could tell you. Okay. No, okay. they didn't. That's not how the news was broke. Did they tweet a video explaining why or a reasoning to the five-game suspension? I'll save your Twitter fingers. No. And this goes back to our favorite word on this podcast, transparency. Why? Again, I'm asking, and you know, I, I used to get rattled about it, but now I'm actually curious because I, I can't, looking at it from the outside, I cannot view a negative in the league coming forth and saying, this is why we're choosing this action. There is no negative involved. I know it sometimes can take some work doing a video, but you've got time to tweet about, God bless him, great guy, Liam Mascant, former Kitchener Ranger captain, winning an award in U Sports. You got time for that. You have time to do other things on your Twitter profile. It's pretty easy to send out a tweet. Yep, it is, but I have a bit of a conspiracy theory that goes against your assertion that nothing negative comes of sending out that tweet. Okay. Because what I think could be, and I don't know this to be true, but this is what I honestly suspect. And I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, by and large. Take off your tinfoil hat. I will. But not until I say this. I think that it's very possible, if not highly likely, that the league deliberately avoids sending tweets, sending video explanations, and quietly just goes and puts things under the media notes section of its website because this league is in competition with other leagues, primarily the NCAA, for players. This league doesn't exist without the players who compete in it. And if you are making even more visible the bad things that sometimes happen in this game, then you are running the risk of having parents primarily see this sort of thing, say, oh my gosh, I don't want my son playing in that league. Look what might happen to him. I honestly believe that might be the case. I don't know for sure. I would love to ask because I think you're right. We've beaten this horse, but there is absolutely no reason to not share this information with your fans and with the media. That might be the reason. I'm with you, and I can I can see that to to a degree. But if you think that the parents that are sending their children to this league don't know that suspensions happen and don't know that hockey is a physical game and don't know that your player might your son or uh, nephew might take uh, a hit and it might result in an injury. Like that's part of the game. You're playing the fastest game on earth and you're doing it on blades. <laughs> like it's a dangerous game. The, I, I feel like when they don't do that or whether, whether they do hand down a suspension like this, it shows that they're being cautious. They're watching the games. They're doing the proper things. It's not like they're not handling the situation. It's not like there was a racial slur and the league just went, don't tell anyone. Put it in the notes. They, they handle things properly. I, I like the, the OHL's actions to things that happen. They're one of the best in the world to do it, in my mind. They normally get suspensions correct. They get their response is normally accurate. But they don't tell anybody about their response. And it bothers me. Hey, OHL, 
my buddy over there, Chris Pope, he just gave you the formula. That is it. Your transparency, if you are, if, if my wackadoodle conspiracy theory, I still have my tinfoil hat yep. on, holds water, and you're actually afraid to show the bad things that happen, this man just told you the exact opposite, and he makes a ton of sense. That's, that's it, Popper. You just summed it up. By sharing this, you show how much you care, how cautious you are. And I have said time and again, and I will say one more time right here, that I think David Branch is one of the best commissioners in sport. But more than that, he honestly, like he'll say it, but he means it. These players in the league are like his kids. Yep. And he protects them like his kids. So you think the five games might be a little harsh in this particular case? I might tend to agree with that. But I am always going to say to Dave Branch in the Ontario Hockey League, you want to err on the side of caution? Fine by me. You want to send a statement with a a supplemental a supplementary discipline? Make it. Make that statement every time, and I'm going to be okay with that because you're protecting players. You're putting player safety first. You want to know why it's a heavy-handed suspension, whether you agree with it or not? You want to know why it's heavy-handed? Because they don't want that play in the league. That's why. They don't want Greg to think, or any player for that matter, that has that play in front of them. I could do it and only get two games. I might only get a couple games. I could use a weekend off. My body's pretty sore. No, you get slapped with a five-gamer. And now Greg is going to miss the biggest game of the Rangers season Tuesday with the London Knights in town. It is a harsh penalty, but when the league implemented and handed down to get that play out of the league, I like it from that standpoint. Is it worth five games? I don't know. Is it a dangerous play? Yes. You hit a player that didn't know a hit was coming and was in a vulnerable place nowhere near the puck. So you deserve a suspension. I like that the league is doing that part and trying to get that out of the game. I just wish they'd educate us and other people who may not follow the game as close as to why they're choosing to do it and show the play. Hey, players that are coming into this league, you do this, you're done for five. Goes another step of why you should do it and educating players coming up who follow the OHL on Twitter, educating players in other leagues that want to come to the OHL. This isn't allowed in our league. You know, if the OHL wants to put us on the payroll at any time, like we have flat out solved this issue for them. And we solved it before. For some reason, it's not getting through to the head offices in Toronto. You said earlier, when's the next time the Kitchener Rangers play the Erie Otters? Because some of Mike McKenzie's comments around, well, the player might not have had his chin strap done up, kind of throwing a little bit of shade back at the Erie Otters and pointing out that it's a, it's a complainer's mentality to send in tape. Maybe, maybe the Kitchener Rangers should start going that way. I, I think that was done with intent what? on Mike uh, McKenzie's part. What intent? To kind of kick a little sand the Erie Otters way. Oh, he didn't kick sand, Mike. He emptied out the sandbox on the Erie Otters carpet. Like, let's call a spade a spade. And didn't bring a shop fact to clean no, it up. Yeah. No, he kicked over the cat litter box and said, I'm out. He, calling out the coaching staff or general manager, whoever sent in the video, it's a bold move. Very bold. You don't get that reaction a lot in this league. At all. Nope. I, for one, like it because he's being honest. That's how he honestly feels. And that's why I like to hear it. But if you think that the Erie Otters are just going to take that, like, I, I can't speak... For other people, but I mean, if somebody said that about my team, I'd be making a phone call at least. Well, and listen, Brendan Kishnick himself is no shrinking violet. We've seen Hayden Fowler do the dance a couple of times already. Uh, the yeah, next game, players don't think about that. Players will skate by the bench, like they'll think to themselves, "Coach is an idiot." They're not going to chirp the coach from the ice, and they're not going to do anything on the ice because of the coach's comments. You don't think? No. That the Erie Otters who just had the sandbox emptied on their carpet don't want to go back out and show the kitchen arrangers that they don't have a complainer's mentality? You're wrong. No, because it wasn't the players that sent in the video. I'm sure the coaches... Say it about my coach, say it about my team. Done. No. It matters. See, I, no. I, well, then I'm, why are you so excited for the next game? 
Well, I just think there's bad blood there. As, and this is fueling it. Well, I think the, the there's bad blood between the organizations, or at least maybe not bad blood. There's And you don't think that'll spoil over onto the ice? Sure, but I don't think that's why. I think it's yeah. because Kitchener's handed it to him five times this year. Oh. And it's going to be interesting. But and Erie's in a playoff race, the, and Greg just knocked out Kishnick. The other thing, though, that comes of Mike McKenzie's comments, and it's it's an interesting talking point, is the Ontario Hockey League, and you and I have already agreed that if you want to err on the side of caution or player safety, go right ahead and continue to err on the side of caution and player safety. But is this league basing its suspensions on the injury suffered and not on the play that caused the injury. It's an interesting point that I think Mike McKenzie made. And I, I, I haven't unpacked every single suspension, but there might be an argument there. We were just in Saginaw, and Blade Jenkins was just back, right, from yep. his four-gamer, and you're talking to the folks in Saginaw uh, on and off the ice, and they're like, it was, a, it was a good hit, and just because the player turned his back and this and that, Next thing you know, we get the four-game suspension handed to us, right? So I, I think it's I think the league has to be careful. If indeed that's what's happening here, is it really fair to not just even teams or players, but to the game to base a suspension on the injury suffered by the player who was victimized? I don't know if it's fair, but it has to go into the equation. I don't think it's just one one way. It's not like, oh, if the player is hurt and he misses 10 games, then that player gets 10 games. I know some people want to see that style of suspension. That's what I was just going to say. That yeah. leads you to that possible outcome, doesn't it? Well, no, because it's dumb to think of it that way. I, I did like how Mike McKenzie said you don't know whether that, that player, and I'm not saying Kishnick, I'm saying any player that sure. gets injured. Yeah. You don't know if they have a previous injury. If I'm playing with a high ankle sprain and I'm trying to tough it out and I get my ankle taken out and all of a sudden it's real bad, well, the, other t- the league didn't know that. And then all of a sudden now I'm going to miss th- four months as opposed to three weeks. So you can't take just the injury um into effect. It's a full equation. You have to watch the play on the ice. Does the injury matter? Yes. It 100% does. I think it does at every level. And I don't think you're going to get that out of the equation, but it's definitely an equation-based thought process if it's done correctly. I I would just reinforce to the Ontario Hockey League, you're doing a great job on player safety. I mean that. Keep it up. Keep looking after your players. Keep looking after your kids absolutely but for the love of all things holy look after your fans a little bit and i say fans before schmucks like you and i we want the information too so we can share it with the fans but for the love of all things holy let us know not only who got suspended and when but why it's real simple or maybe they don't because it just gets podcasts around the league talking about certain suspensions and how and gives them more PR, I don't know. You think this is going to come up on the OHL's official podcast this week? Probably. Probably not. Check it out. <laughs> you can find it at OntarioHockeyLeague.com with our buddy Josh Sweetland. Absolutely. Um, what do you got in your hand? It's a hammer. <laughs> Excuse me? I, I brought a hammer. It's, it's a foam hammer. It it's feels a like a, it's, it's like a... So I was a little late for the podcast tonight, uh, and I feel awful for it. I was, as usual, just trying to do one too many things. And uh, this, this company in town, Malul Blamey, who is not yet a sponsor of the podcast, but damn it, we're going to make him one. Anyway, I, I had to go to their annual general meeting, and they gave a swag bag, and it's got this this little uh, foam hammer. I think I'm going to give it to the dog when I get home and let him chew it to, to bits. But it Can feels like a stress You can't toy. give a dog a foam no, toy. I, he would destroy this in no time. Probably not healthy for him, too. It feels like a, it feels like a, uh, a stress-relieving thing. Why do you ask? You just I, want me to talk about the hammer in my hands? Exactly. Yeah, and you want me to say that on the podcast, too. Yeah. I did. Okay. Uh, you were there per- helping out a company that helps out you in your Firewall for Hire campaign, which is coming up in how long? Oh, my gosh. Like two months? Like, honestly. When's the season done? Because then Firewall for Hire starts. No time off. That's right. Uh, you know who else doesn't take time off? Who's that? Scouts, oh. it seems like. That's they true. travel a lot. A lot of miles. 
And let me tell you. I know. So you, you go ahead. Well, because I was there to witness yeah. your reaction. Like you were, you were a puddle. I was shaking a little. So I want, I want to save that story till after the interview, though. Yeah, same. So, but the interview is with a four time, four times, four times. Count them: one, two, three, four time Stanley Cup champion. Four times. Yeah, happened to be at the rink, and we're like, "Hey, Mister Four Time Stanley Cup champion." How would you like to pop on the Farwell and Pulp podcast? Four-time Stanley Cup champion, but only played 50 National Hockey League games. Former Kitchener Ranger. Went to two Memorial Cup finals. Lost them both. Bridesmaid in the O. Stanley Cup champion in the show. Four-time Stanley Cup champion. Now a scout with the Dallas Stars, Joe McDonnell. We're joined now by somebody around these parts who doesn't need much of an introduction. Former Ranger, former head coach of the Rangers, but I'm going to geek out for a little bit. Okay, you go right ahead. Because we're do that. talking to one of the architects of four Stanley Cups with my Detroit Red Wings. Here we go, Joe. I'm sorry about Joe this. I really am. McDonnell. Let's get a quick <laughs> round of applause. Thank you Great for, memories. Al- for allowing me as a fan, as a youngster, to watch my team win four Stanley Cups and rub it in the face of my entire Maple Leaf fan family that they still haven't seen it. So All thank right, you. I hear you. Joe, thanks a lot for taking the time. Yeah, no problem, Chris. Uh, now, uh, Director of Scouting for the Dallas Stars. You left Detroit when Jim Nill went to Dallas as well. Coming back into this building, does it ever get old? Never does. It's always a treat every time I come here. Uh, you know, I always run into people that I know for, you know, forever. You know, I was born and raised here, so it's uh, it's just always a treat. Everybody in the league is talking about a goal that was scored in overtime by Ty Delandria last night in Flint. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he's Stars property. When you look at the the way the game is being played today, and the how, how do you go about assembling a hockey club? Well, it's, you know, when we're out out in the uh, trails, we're just looking for for our best possible prospect that we can dig up. You know, we're we're looking at the skating, we're looking at a total package. So, then it, it's not a an exact science, that's for sure. It's uh, you don't know what these kids are going to be when they're when they're 24, 25. We're looking at them when they're 17, 18 years old. So it's a uh, it's a crapshoot, really, to say the least. Uh, once we get started, but you just try to do your, um, you know, homework on them and do their background checks, different things. And but the most important thing, they got to be a good hockey player, and and uh, you know that's what we're looking for. You had a couple, or you have a couple Rangers and Adam Maskren formerly here, and Riley Damiani. What was it about those guys that you liked? Uh, well, Adam was a, a thing. You knew he could put the puck in the net. Um, you know, it was always his skating that was the issue. Sure. And, um, you know, he had his, his problems, I guess, with Florida and, and uh, getting a contract then. And um, I've always liked him. And, and uh, it was just a matter of uh, him not signing there. So we t- took a crack at him. And he's had a great uh, great start in his uh, his Dallas career with, uh, with Texas in the American League. Uh, again, it's his skating. But now that he's skating every day with with guys that are really good skaters his skating's coming along too so um it's it's a process it's a long process sometimes for different players but he's he's really dug in and he wants to get better so that's that's the key uh, again with riley he's still a young guy he's uh just growing into his body he's got to get bigger stronger and it's again it's a it's a process with these players and you just you hope you, you end up with uh, with kids that really want to be good um if that's the case they're going to work work uh, off the ice as, as hard as they do on the ice and that's uh, extremely important now considering the time of year that we're talking joe i thought we'd obviously chat world juniors but just before we came on the air we were talking about you not being at the tournament for the first time in quite some time not a bad booby prize though being at that outdoor game eighty-six thousand in dallas it, it was uh, just a phenomenal event that uh, that our team put on down there it was uh, just incredible eighty-six thousand. Uh, the weather was great. Um, that's a way to watch a hockey game. It's uh, that's something when you have the outdoor games here up in Canada, you're looking at you know minus 20, minus 30 weather, and I'm not sure that's all that much fun for uh, at least for me if I'm sitting there. But uh, in Dallas, they did a tremendous job. What led to you following Jim Neal to go to Dallas? Uh, he basically, I'd been with Jim. I played with Jim way back in the day in Vancouver. Uh, I've known him forever pretty well, and we sort of. Uh, became like 1A, 1B type thing in Detroit. 
Um, he liked what I did. I sort of saw the the same things that he did in hockey players, and he uh, just approached me and said when he was going to Dallas, he would like me to follow him. And uh, uh, you know, the rest is history. It's I think it's been six or seven years now with them, so it's uh, it's been a good run. We were talking just this week with Roger Hunt in Oshawa, and he mentioned kind of in passing that they were celebrating the 1990 Memorial Cup team in Oshawa. And I couldn't help but wonder if he was just giving me a little jab as a Kitchener kid, Joe, because that 1990 Memorial Cup, of course, would have been Oshawa beating the Kitchener Rangers. Probably weren't bringing that up, Mike. I know. But here's the, the, <laughs> the reason I do is this. I had the opportunity to work with Mike Torkey, who I know you still keep in touch with and, and love dearly. He was your goaltender for that Rangers team. And when I worked with Mike, everybody he ran into from that Memorial Cup, when they played for Oshawa, he we would hug them. Mike, Mike's kind of that guy, but he was friendly with all of them. I, I would think that there might still be a little bit of ill feelings around that. What did, when, when I say 1990 Memorial Cup, what comes to your mind? Long time ago. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it's just fond, fond memories. You know, I know we didn't win, but uh, it's just something that you'll always remember through the, for the rest of your life. And uh, uh, it was a special group of guys that we had then. And like you say, I still see Torch. I just saw him last week at a, at a rink here in town, and uh, he gave me a big hug. And, uh, you know, it was just one big happy family at that time. I wish it would have been a little bit happier, but uh, but we did our best, and it was a, it was a great run. We've always talked about that. And, and Don Cameron always said it was the it was the Memorial Cup championship that put junior hockey on the map in this country. Were, could you sense that while it was happening, or are you too immersed in the moment? Uh, well, totally immersed. And I had the f- uh, I was fortunate I got to play in one as well way back in the day in Windsor, and uh, we lost that one too to Cornwall, and and uh, that's another memory that I'll never forget. It was it was heartbreaking, but uh, it's just something you just you just always remember it, and you always remember the players that you played with. Um, at that time, the players that I coached in 90, uh, there's, it's just a special bond that you, I think that you have all together. And when you run into them, you know, in different cities or wherever, you just, uh, you always, it brings back great memories. Unlike my co-partner here, I'm going to bring up some positive stuff. Like I mentioned, <laughs> four Stanley Cup. Oh, Not that. A big deal. Uh, which one was uh, the most special to you, if you could pick? Uh, well, I don't, if I had to pick, I guess it's the first one, just because it, I had never done that before. Um, it was, and again, that those teams in Detroit were uh, incredible. It was, uh, you know, right from from the top of your lineup to the bottom. Uh, they were all unbelievable hockey players. Now, on that day, you know, we didn't have cap uh, the cap issues or anything like that. We uh, we spent the money, and and uh, Ken Holland did a tremendous job putting championship teams together. But I would say the first one, uh, just because I had never done it before, and then getting the uh, the Stanley Cup in my backyard here in, in uh, Kitchener Waterloo was was special and then to do it three more times was was incredible real quick just the wings were famous for having um and my his name's blanking me the european scout that would find datsuk and zetterberg in the seventh or eighth draft because he's traveled to some rink five hours away and uh, when you're in when you're talking with the draft and that, that kind of name comes up and we're talking that late in the draft how does it work with a hockey team when they, when you're fighting for someone and then hans is fighting for somebody over from sweden you have no idea who he is yeah well it's a that's sort of something that fans really don't realize is when we have we have say three crossover guys uh, on each team um you know it was myself and a couple other guys jim nil we all went over we saw the same players that hawken did um, so it was uh, it was somewhere. It's not just that guy in that area. Now it's up to him to to sort of locate them, and then we go over and sort of approve it type thing. Um, and it was uh, I don't know how we did it back then, getting uh, getting that suit and where we did, and Zetterberg where we did uh, was just we we're trying to get our list in order. And if we were that smart, we would have taken them in the first round. Let's get that <laughs> straight. So um, you know we we got lucky. We got big time lucky. Uh, now to to improve your luck chances, you have to go. And you have to see a ton of hockey games. You got to see that kid play an awful lot of times, and you just improve your chances, and and maybe that makes you a little bit better and luckier. You mentioned see that kid play uh, a lot of times. When I talk to scouts, I like to ask, how many times do you have to see a player before you really get a good understanding of what kind of player he is? Probably not near enough. It's uh, you know you could see them a hundred times, and you still don't know enough about the player. Um, it's just something you just have to keep going and going, and, and uh, you hope by the end of the year that you've seen them enough, but you really don't know how many times. 
We always appreciate you making time for us like this, Joe. Love seeing you around the rink. Congrats on all the success. And, hey, Delandria, Damiani, Maskerin, and so many more. We'll watch for more with the stars coming up. Nicholas hey. Camano. Oh, that one, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Another one we Thanks, saw in this guys. league. Thanks, I appreciate Joe. it. It's great to see you guys. You mentioned coming into the interview, now a scout with the Dallas Stars, obviously did not win any Stanley Cups, has not, he's still active, won any Stanley Cups with the Dallas Stars. All of those Cups coming with the Detroit Red Wings. Just a quick little piece of trivia for you. I think most people would generally assume that the two winningest coaches in Kitchener Rangers history were Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott because they're synonymous really with the resurgence of the franchise over the last 20 years. But in fact, Joe McDonnell finds himself in that conversation. Pete DeBoer, the winningest coach in Kitchener Rangers history, history with 297. Steve Spott, 187. And sandwiched right there in the middle, Joe Mack with 226 wins as the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. And as the coach, he was behind the bench for that uh, memorable 1990 Memorial Cup that the Rangers lost to the Oshawa Generals. But Farzi. Yeah. No one cares. I know. Four time. I know. As Four time Stanley Cup champ. Let me just tell you one more thing that I loved about it. Okay. Is when he found out you were a Wings fan during that interview and you started geeking out a little bit. A little bit. After we finished the interview. I couldn't even remember Hawken. Um, or uh, their their scout's name. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. After we finished the interview, he said, oh, "You're such a Wings fan. I'll I'll bring you my ring. Like I'll I'll bring it to a game sometime and show you." And so Joe followed through on that the next time we saw him at a rink, which was just this past week. And what I loved most about it is he brought the rings in a box in a bag, and we're in the media room, and I'm like, Joe, because he comes in, he says, "Hey, where's Chris?" I'm like, "Guy's down doing his whatever pregame stuff." I said, "Is he in trouble?" He's like, yeah, I can't wait to see him. And then he just left. And I realized, wait a minute. Like five minutes later, I'm like, he's got the rings. He's got the rings. So I went, I'm like, Joel, don't wait for Popper. He's like, no, no, I don't want to bring him out here. And I, I just thought that was like in the room with all the other scouts and whatnot. Nope, not here. So he came up to the booth and I'm just going to let you take over from there because I'm not sure you have recovered yet. Well, I got the text from you saying, are you okay? Somebody up here wants to see you. Yes. And then when I approached the table, you said, Joe Max here. And he wants to see it. And I thought, oh, like I, I complete, it I, sounds awful, but I completely forgot about the ring conversation. Yeah. I thought it was like a one off where he's like, oh, yeah, I'll bring it sometime. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure. You know, ha ha ha. Cause I told him, I said, like 97, I cried. I cried in my parents' basement watching that game. Cried, bald like a bald. And so I go over to him and he's sitting there eating. I said, I was told I need to uh, see you. Am I in, am I in trouble? And he kind of got like really embarrassed almost and kind of just brushed me off. Says, yeah, well, uh, I'll, just let me know when you're going upstairs. I, I want to show you something. And then it clicked. And I went, he's got a ring here. This guy has a ring here. I am going to see a Detroit Red Wings Stanley Cup championship ring, and I might get to put it on. Go upstairs. All of a sudden, he pulls out this box. Not one. Not two. Not three. Four of them. All four. And then you get to see how the rings changed oh. from 97 to oh, oh, eight. eight? Yeah. What a world. It, and then I put the one on, on my one finger, and you called me out for it. You're like, just going to put on the guy's ring? Well, because he offered then, too, to me later, but I, on, I couldn't do it. If well, it, then and, I'm like... And I'm a Leafs fan. If somebody came with a Leafs ring, if they're that old, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I feel weird. I don't know why. I never played the game, but anyway. Who cares? I know. My uncle's got two championship rings, and I used to wear them all the time. Yeah. My brother and I have claimed them. He gets one, I get the other. Cool. I get the bigger one because I'm older. Um, but I, And I'm looking at them, and I go to put them back, and I took, took a picture, and Joe says to me, well, you got to get a picture wearing them all. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know how to react. I, 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 I lit, like, literally, I was shaking wearing these four rings. I couldn't, I couldn't put them all on my fingers because they wouldn't fit my large hands. Um, but I got them on at least the first knuckle, a couple of them. And to just look at that and to think like, Joe's been around for so long and he, I don't want to say he wasn't grateful and honored, but it was like, he was just like, yeah, they're rings. Yep. <laughs> like, what? 
Even the box they were in, emblazoned uh, with the Red oh, Wings logo. He's got his name on it. The little magnetic the, holders the they, at the bottom. Yes, it's fantastic to hold it, the rings in place. I had seen one before um, because my uncle got me, uh, knew a player that was playing for San Jose at the time. San Jose was in Detroit at the Joe. He got me down in the family and friends area afterwards. And I got to meet Chris Draper's father. And his, he was wearing one. And I just introduced myself. I said, I see that ring. Is that, a, is that a championship ring? He goes, yeah, you know, I'm Chris's father. And so Chris gave his dad a ring. So he's rock, rocking the Stanley Cup champion ring around. So cool. And I was like, I just couldn't stop staring. He's like, pretty cool. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Geeking out as a, as a fan back in the day. My fandom is kind of uh, whittled away. Well, I had a, I'll, I'll be honest. I had a buddy who played in the NHL. So then I didn't care if the Wings won. I just wanted him to win. And I was cheering for whatever team he was on. So then when you're so in, and I knew like, like he's a close friend. I'd be at the Stanley Cup party. He got real close, Uh, like real close. Yeah. Like two games away. Yeah. Darn Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Um, But you're so invested. I've never been more invested as a fan in anything at that point. So now I I barely even watch the NHL because I'm just like, I don't have that investment anymore in a team or uh, I'm not supporting anyone like that in any way anymore. So it's just not the same. So now I just hope that the Wings lose every game so they get Alexis Lafreniere. Can I go off script here for a second? Please. Because you made me think of something. How about it, it, Hammer Boy? Right after, like, it it ends, or it begins where you ended. But you said earlier about how you cried in 97. Yeah. And I'm a lifelong Leafs fan. But sadly, that level of allegiance is gone. Like, if, if... The Leafs win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. It's just not, it's not going to bring me to tears because much like you just finished that thought, I, I, I don't pay as much attention to the NHL anymore and I've just, I'm just at a different place in my life, period. I think it'll be great, but it's not going to evoke that kind mm-hmm. of emotion. So I, I say that by way of going off script and just mentioning the name David Ayers for a second. I, ho- I hoped you were going this way. Because I am a Leafs fan. And yes, it's funny, ha-ha, it's great. But I don't say this as a fan. Again, I pay hardly any attention to the league. This was a a neat little story. Mm -hmm. But can we just stop? Like, I get that we can have a punchline with the Toronto Maple Leafs and it couldn't happen to a, a more cursed franchise, but let's be honest here. Can we please give the Carolina Hurricanes some credit? It's Mm -hmm. not like David Ayers started the damn game and beat the Maple Leafs 6-3. to three. Or stole the game. That either. When he came into the game, Carolina was already leading, and you can bet your ass that every other player on that team did everything they could to help their goaltender survive. It's not like John Tavares and Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander and everybody else was going in on a breakaway every single play. So can we just stop... Can we just acknowledge, it's a great story, don't get me wrong, fantastic story, but can we just stop honestly picking on the Leafs? It could have happened to any team, any night, because what the Carolina Hurricanes did, the team, was pretty damn special. So let's just stop, okay? They dominated, is what they did. They were unbelievable. But the story itself, I don't want anyone to ever stop talking about it, because it's so awesome. Absolutely. And you don't have to look too far back, Scott Foster did it. He was an emergency backup, he came in too. But just the way it worked with, you know, him being an employee of the team, practicing, he had to practice with the Leafs the next day. I love that. And to pick up a kidney transplant survivor in his early 40s, he comes in, wins the game in Toronto. Like, what a story. It's a great story. He's going to be telling his grandkids and everybody's going to, I love it. They make him an honorary North Carolinian. I am now rooting 100%, 100% for the Carolina Hurricanes to win the Stanley Cup because that organization does anything to grow the game down there, and that's why I love they're just all in on this because they're just trying to get as much PR as they can out of it to grow the game, and I know a bunch of jerks down there would put his name on the Stanley Cup. It's funny. They probably would. It's funny you say that. It's hilarious. Because you can go ahead and cheer for the Hurricanes. I'm now cheering even more 
for the Leafs because I think this is their St. Louis Blues moment. Whoa. From dead last in January to Stanley Cup champion. So they can look back because, again, it's just ridiculous. Like, the fans that are losing their minds as this being the worst thing in franchise history, stop it because it's not. It's just, it's not. You're you're exaggerating it. Are, you're taking it way too hard. Are they? Yes, they are. The Carolina Hurricanes beat the Leafs, not uh, David Ayers. Agree, but you can't get more than, what, 10 shots? He allowed two on the first two goals and he made eight saves. 10 shots. In you, a period you, you of it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. You're right. Look at the forwards that team has. I got it. But look at the players that Carolina has. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. The Leafs should not lose to Carolina in the first place. But they did. It happens. Anyway. It happens. Vancouver or Boston should not lose to Vancouver, but they did. 9-3 the very next night. So just stop it. Touche. Okay. Um, Let's get to something. French. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Pardon. Le moi. Chapeau. Poutin. Um, The Q is voting to ban fighting. Thoughts? Interesting. I think it's interesting that we're talking about it now. I'm glad they're going to push off the vote until the summer. It raises a really interesting conversation, Popper, and you and I had a a good chat on last week's podcast about the instigator rule and a bunch of different things. You made a great, great point about uh, how the instigator rule works or how it doesn't work, quite honestly. You're complimenting me a lot on this podcast. Are you okay? Uh, I got a hammer. Have you been drinking? I got a hammer. You got a hammer. I did have a Cremor at the Malul Blamey uh, AGM. Thanks. You're welcome. I don't know that it's necessary for the league to take this step. And I've, I've admitted this before. I had swung the pendulum completely in my life, and I've kind of let it come back to the middle. When I was a kid, I wouldn't go so far as to say I relished the enforcer, but it certainly didn't bother me. It wasn't my favorite part of the game, but I had no problem with it. And when, you know, Bob Probert and... Steve Chason and Ty Domi were out there doing their thing. Wendell Clark, great. Go out there and do your thing. And when we started getting more and more concerned and we started learning more and more about head injuries, I started thinking, you know what? This is really dumb. A league that is saying that it's protecting people's skulls, allowing people to punch one another in the face multiple times in the head, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. We should ban it. We should get rid of it completely. But I've kind of come back to the middle where I think it does have a place in the game. It's got a bit of a role. And, and quite frankly, I'm right back to where I was as a kid. I don't really mind it. Having a conversation about outright banning it, though, I, I'm, just, I'm just not sure it's, it's the right thing. I think that what will happen and is, in fact, happening is it's going to work its way out of the game all on its own because they've put in so many different rules to keep people from dropping the gloves and having fights. So... I don't think you have to ban it. I think it's kind of going to ban itself. But one final thought, it is still interesting to me that we're having a conversation about banning fighting from a game because it makes you think about the fact that it actually exists. And it really does make hockey weird. Like if you just take your fandom out of it for a moment and think that we have a professional sport played by strong, powerful athletes, adults, where we allow this to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Football's violent. Basketball in the paint is incredibly physical. And yet only in hockey do we allow people to punch one another. It's very strange. I I see why you believe it is strange. I don't think there is a world where this game can survive without fighting. It can't survive without it. Well, not... Not in the same way. I just think when you take away that enforcer and somebody who can respond, the the rats run the roost. Is that the saying? What's what's the saying I'm looking for? The 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 inmates run the asylum. Let's okay. go with that. Go with that. According to, I've never heard of rats running the uh, roost. I don't know. I, 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 it wasn't correct. It's a new thing. I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, according to HockeyFights.com, the QMJHL has had 138 fights this year. Plus one when Ottawa played, but I'm not counting that one. Okay. 138 fights. Is that a super stat or a meaningless number? 138 fights in a league that will see... 
what do they play? So we're going to have like 1,300-ish games, right? Roughly. 130. So I like how you asked me. I'm like, I have no idea. I just think. I, so that, one in every 10 uh, games has a fight. Meh. I, 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 well, I, maybe I would call it a super stack because then you, it gives you a, a good indication of how little fighting there actually is. Okay. I just think one, if you take away that threat of somebody fighting you, then you can do whatever you want. We talk, and we talked about this on the postgame show. You brought it up. Great point. Where we talk with people who have went to play U sports, and they talk about how chippy and dirty that league can be. It's because you can't fight in that league. If you do something like that in the Ontario Hockey League or the CHL, somebody's going to knock your teeth out. And nobody wants that. Yeah, but this is why I think that if you remove the fandom and the fact that we're just so used to it, and I've told you where I've been and come back to on the pendulum, it's still bizarre. Because how many stories have you heard, not firsthand, but I've heard people talk about what happens at the bottle of the, uh, the bottle, the bottom of the pile trying to recover a fumble in football. Mm-hmm. Like there's some unspeakable things that yeah. go on at the bottom of that pile. Yeah, same in rugby. They don't punch each other. No. So, but it's part of the game. It's it's part of the game. It's been in there forever. As we as society become more soft, we don't like to see that. Well, then so is Bobby Clark on uh, on Karlamov. There you go. What, That's part of the. It's always been part of the game. Slashing somebody's ankle to get him out of the game. Nobody punched Bobby Clark then, for sure. But that and he did that because he knew nobody was going to punch him. Nobody was going after Bobby Clark well, on that team. If they had Dave the Hammer Schultz on the other side, then. He probably wouldn't do that because he knows someone's coming after me. But that was the Russians. They weren't going to do anything at that point. If, if you know, trust me, I've been on a team where we have had the tough guy. And everyone knew that if you touch one of our stars, tough guy was going to rip your head off. Our stars got a lot more freedom to do whatever they wanted. Skilled hockey. I've been on teams where we didn't have a tough guy. And it wasn't pretty for our star players. They got bullied. It makes a huge difference in the game, not to do it every time, but just the threat of it there keeps the other team in line. That's why I think those players that can play the game at a high level and still also drop the gloves from time to time are some of the most valuable players on a team because they can do everything. They're that five-tool player. I agree with you completely. I really do. Wait a minute. Did I just, I'm telling you. Wow. Mark, everyone favorite this podcast. But I'm just going to go back to, at the end of the day, I hate that cliche, but how odd it is. Like if you really just think about it, right? The game of hockey. For sure. Without, like, and I mean, by allowing it, I mean, because sometimes we see basketball players start throwing punches and football players, and they're immediately ejected from the game. Yeah. In hockey, you know what you should do? You should go sit down for five minutes, then you can come back. It's weird. It's just weird. That's all. It is weird. And I, I think if if the vote passes in the queue, how far behind is the OHL and the WHL? Yeah, you know what? I don't think it will. So it needs 12 of 18 to pass two-thirds of the governors. And you can't have it. You can't have... You're under the governing body of the Canadian Hockey League. You can't have one league that doesn't allow fighting, right? Oh, sure you can. Come Memorial Cup, what do you do? Well, nobody fights at the Memorial Cup anyway, do they? Sure. I, well, I'm, I'm sure. I, I, I don't have the facts in front of me, but why wouldn't you? That's when your intention's at an all-time high. That's where you're diving in front of shots with your face to block them. What, of course, if you have a chance to send a message or get your team going. We talked with Axel Bergfist after his fight in Hamilton. Kitchener Rangers defenseman Axel Bergfist dropped the gloves with Isaac Nurse. Afterwards, I said, where'd that come from? I've always wanted to do it. I told myself I was going to get in a fight this year. I said, that's your first one ever. Yeah, never fought before. Wanted to do it. Then that's just a game in Hamilton. You don't think a guy like that, if come Memorial Cup final, you're down 2 nothing early, go out and spark your team? He said, we had two bad games and we were down a goal. So, perfect time. Well, if the OHL won't listen to us on transparency, let me say this to the QMJHL and see if it will listen to us. I don't think you have to do it. I think fighting is working its way out of the game all on its own because of the stricter rules that we put in place particularly at the major junior level here in Canada. And what we are creating now is a new uh, style of player that doesn't fight. And this player will graduate to the National Hockey League. And I, 
for the second time, let me put on my conspiracy theorist's tinfoil cap. I think that's been the design the whole way. David Branch is doing this in this league so that the National Hockey League never has to say to its fans, we're banning fighting because they're just getting, they're getting the CHL to do its dirty work. Yeah. That's what's happening. You you have a very valid point. And I'm going to go ahead and say, I like the way the game is right now. I've always been pro fighting. I don't think that'll ever change. Um, But I like what they're doing in limiting the fighting. Pick your spots. Don't make it a stage fight. Yep. And it's perfect. Exactly. I I love what they're doing. Um, In the queue, first time in a long time that the Ottawa 67s are not the top-ranked team in the CHL. Can you explain to me in what universe that the team that at one time reeled off 17 in a row this year can lose four of six hockey games. Sure. Okay. Because <laughs> I I think I mentioned this on one of our broadcasts. I've been known to make the occasional wager. Mm-hmm. And about a week ago, when Ottawa had lost back-to-back games to Windsor, even though they came back late and forced extra time, but they lost in a shootout, and then to London... Their next game was in North Bay, and I would have bet all of the money on Ottawa not losing a third game in a row, especially at the hands of the lowly North Bay Battalion. No offense, North Bay, but standings are what they are. And they went in there and lost a third game in a row. I was was flabbergasted then. I know. The next trip up to Sault Ste. Marie, they win one in overtime, then they go back down south to Sudbury, and they lose again. And then they get a school day game against Shane Wright and the Kingston Frontenacs, and by the way, Shane Wright's going to establish a new record for uh, rookie scoring in, in Kingston. In no Kingston. surprise. Yeah, no shock. No. Anyway, and so they pick up the win there, but four out of six, the Ottawa 67s have lost. I never would have guessed it, Popper. I know. Uh, they've fallen to second in that CHL top 10 behind Sherbrooke of the QMJHL, who had uh, their own, let's call it, um, run in with the law in the offseason, did Sherbrooke. Um, but I'll tell you why Ottawa loses those games. When did they clinch? Yeah, like three weeks ago now. <laughs> if not Two longer. Least, yeah. It was pretty early. And you and I have talked about it. As broadcasters in this league who get paid to watch hockey and travel around on a team bus. Life's not difficult. But it's the dog days of the season. You've clinched your spot. They have a 25-point spread, I think, on the second-place team in that in that conference. They are... They got first place locked down in their sleep and they are looking towards the games that really matter. And that's exactly what it is. It's just not there. You don't, you just, you're playing every game to not get injured and that's how you lose hockey games. So if I'm a fan in Ottawa, this concerns me greatly. What? Because I don't believe there is a playoff switch that gets flipped. And if you're not playing the game the right way with urgency, then you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. I'm not saying there's a team that's going to knock off Ottawa in the first round, but man, oh man. If, and Andre Turney is one of the best coaches in this league, hands down. Mm-hmm. So is this the right guy to have at the helm to make sure that when it is go time, there's at least a switch you can point to? I don't know, but I, I would well, be concerned if I'm an Ottawa fan, just because you, you don't want to see your team go in in the wrong mindset. Okay. I have two exhibits to bring to the table. Okay. Exhibit A. Who are they going to play in the first round? Uh, Kingston or North Bay. Yeah. Right? Or sorry, not North Bay. Uh, Niagara. It's going to be Kingston or Niagara. No. Is, isn't Niagara going to miss? Yeah. Well, no, that's what, I think you were that's right. That's what I mean. Someone, someone in the eight is... Oh, is, yeah, because North Bay's not going to be... That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's going to be one of those two. Cakewalk. They can beat those teams in their sleep with... No disrespect to either team. Exhibit B, and one that you and I are a little more familiar with, and again, we apologize for the uh, Rangers-centricness of this, but Exhibit B, Logan Stanley. Two years ago, he was good throughout the regular season, especially in the last half, and then all of a sudden playoffs... He was a man obsessed. He was unbelievable. First game, you and I, I remember looking at each other going, where was this? Where was this for 68 games? Flip switched. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. It's it's a it's a good point. I I think I I'll tell you what. I'd pay my money, all of it, to see Shane Wright in the playoffs in his first year in this league. Would you? I'm pretty sure Connor McDavid missed. Well, you're probably going to see it because Niagara's lost 14 straight. Yeah, it's pretty And ugly. they are just free-falling. The fronts aren't great. And from our uh, viewing of them up in Kingston, I'm a little shocked that they're going to get into the playoffs. No kidding. But that was a different team. We were up there pretty early this yeah, year. It was for November, sure. right? Yep, they've added a couple October. pieces, but yeah. and Shane Wright seems to have figured it out. Sure has. He's going to get 40 as, a, as an underager in this league. Yeah. Kids his age are just getting drafted this upcoming summer. That's how gross he is. Um, we were talking down in Flint. Brennan Othman just set a Firebirds record with rookie points. At 31, he surpassed Ty DeLandria as the all-time leading rookie scorer in Flint Firebirds history. 31 points. Yeah. Shane Wright has 36 goals. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, is that good? Pretty, pretty impressive. Is that? That's, what that that's is. pretty good up there. We, um we're recording this, and um, I, I feel like we should go an extra... We should keep going for 15 minutes here. Well, because earlier in the podcast, we were talking about Kitchener-Erie possibly being a first-round playoff matchup, and I said, you know, there's another potential matchup that I think one team down the 401 from Kitchener would not want. At the time, because we're watching... We have on in the monitor, or we have uh, on in the studio, on the monitors behind us, the uh, London-Guelph game, as we record on this... Wednesday night, and as we started our recording, it was 2 nothing Guelph, and I said to you, do you think London wants any part of the Guelph storm in the first round? Because it's possible, and I think that's what makes first place all the more valuable in the Western Conference, because 3-6 could be, could be Kitchener slash London, Guelph, although I have a funny feeling the storm are going to catch up to the Windsor Spitfires and be the five seed, but anyway. Yeah, I don't think you're the only one that has that feeling. Yeah. Um, I, you don't have to look too far, though. Like, remember Rangers' big win at home the other night, and all the talk downstairs was that Guelph beat London. And that's why I said at the time, 2 nothing Guelph, it's now 3-2 yeah. London, but twice, Guelph not only beats London, but comes from behind in the third period to do it. One of those occasions, the first of those occasions, being when London was on a 10-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. They snapped the 10-game winning streak with three goals in the third. Two come from behind wins, just like they did last year in the playoffs, came from behind and won. I, I don't think the London Knights want any part of the Guelph Storm. I don't think anybody does, to be honest. But, remember remember the heater they got off to at the first half of the year before Nico Dawes went to World Juniors? Yes. Nobody wants any part of this Storm team. But nobody gets in London's kitchen. Nobody gets in London's kitchen. You don't come back from being down 3-1 without being in the other team's kitchen. And that's what the storm did last year. No, they were down three cops. Th- oh, three cops. Th- well, yeah. sorry, there were so many of them. <laughs> I get I them mixed up. Which yeah. comeback was it? Yeah, that was the three nothing comeback. Two nothing to Ottawa. Three one to Sag. Yep. Three nothing. Correct. To London. Four game sweep of the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the playoff. That was yeah. for George Burnett in the Guelph Storm. And by the way, we should give a quick little shout out to George Burnett, who has become the winningest head coach in Guelph Storm history. Really? Yeah. Do you know who he passed? I don't know that. I should have asked Tony. I thought he would have been up there anyway, especially after last year and his first trip to Guelph. He wasn't there long, but they they won. Tony being Tony Saxon, who's the excellent reporter uh, with Guelph today that follows the the Guelph storm and has been since his uh, Guelph Mercury days. 3-3. Guelph just tied it up. 5-25 left in the third. Um, It's been a great game to watch. It's in front of me. So I've been trying to talk to you while staring at the TV, and I apologize. Yeah, I'm used to for it. Be, for being rude. Um, That's like being but, on the bus with you. Your head's down. You got your earbuds in. You're watching something. I'm, I'm tapping on the shoulder. I'm, Palmer, Palmer, oh, I, I got on. an idea. I got to talk to you about something. You're always on your phone. Ben McFarlane with the game tire. Um, I just think that Nico Dawes scares a lot of people. And when a goaltending is so valuable in the playoffs, and if he can get hot... It's dangerous. That That's a dangerous bottom seat. I think if anybody w- would welcome it, it might be Dale Hunter. He saw his weaknesses over at the World Juniors, maybe. He got an idea as to what you have to do on Nico Dawes, what the other team was doing, and what led to Nico's struggles, if you will. Um, but I, I just think this Guelph team can, man, they, they were so good early on. If they can turn it on, they have the high-powered offense. They got some quality D guys and a third and fourth line that are just going to 
go out there and work their tails off every shift. How interesting does this make things down the stretch in the Western Conference? We already talked about Ottawa being on cruise over in the East, but if you look at, and if we assume that the Midwest winner will be the conference winner, so you've got London Kitchener jockeying for Midwest title slash what would then become Western Conference title because the possibility of finishing third, which is where you'd finish if you don't win the division, is right now the Guelph Storm. Or if Guelph does catch Windsor, as you and I are talking about, and all of a sudden you've got Flint and Saginaw who are going toe-to-toe for the West division, and by extension we think maybe the second seed, the other one would would slot in fourth, and they'd draw potentially Guelph. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot of reason for both of those all four of those teams to go hard, which they are anyway, I guess. It's captain obvious, but what a race that makes it for the division titles. Yeah, you want the division so you get home ice. That That's at the end of, that's what it's for. It's for the home ice. Um, I, I don't want any part of Windsor in the first round. I don't want any part of Guelph. And if I'm the coach and a member of those teams, I'm doing whatever I can to not play those two. I, I'll take my chances with the other ones with all due respect to Owen Sound and Erie. Likely, but I, I want no part of Nico Dawes. I want no part of Pavel Gogolev, Cam Hillis, and I want no part of that Windsor Hockey Club. They can beat anybody on any given night if they decide to. They are so fast, physical, and too young to know any better. So you don't mind uh, a part of Owen Sound in the first round of the playoffs, but how do you feel about Owen Sound on a Saturday night, Popper? Because that's where we're headed this week. Where else would you rather be than the Lummer on a Saturday? Love the Bayshore. All right, this was a long enough one, uh, as always. Hey, listen, sometimes we get these emails saying it has to be at least an hour. I know. I think we're clocking in our, close to that. Our buddy time. Matt. Yep. Um, also, I, I don't know if we talked about this last time. Uh, a th- giant thank you to anybody who listened to our broadcast from Hamilton a couple weeks ago on Family Day. Technical difficulties galore on the road. We had to call the game from our cell phones. And at one point, one of our cell phones wasn't sounding great, according to the technical op, Luke Schultz. So we were sharing a cell phone, calling the game from a cell phone in the Ontario Hockey League from Hamilton. I'm going to hit you with this hammer. There's a lot of talk about uh, what's going on in Barrie. Many media people. It seems every team that goes in there is complaining about lack of internet, the not dialing up properly. And where they broadcast from. I got a question for you. Okay. Who do they complain to? Because ain't nobody over there answering our calls. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Anyway, uh, you can always get in contact with us, Farwell and Pope at gmail.com, at Farwell underscore OHL, and at underscore Chris Pope. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.